0: Because in our modern world, there are some who simply do not get a hold of God. Why? Well, as Jesus will point out, there are rocks, there are thorns, and there are birds. I almost subtitled this particular message that Rocks, Thorns, and Birds. Because there are so much and so many things that conspire to take and prevent God's Word from bearing fruit in our life. You would think that if Someone offered us a pardon if they offered us to become an instant millionaire, or like some of these people win these lotto, you know I mean, anytime someone wants if you ask them, what's their number one dream, many of them say, if I could just win the lotto. Folks, getting saved and going to heavens 10,000 times greater than the lotto. I mean, you talk about striking it rich. We have gone from being a beggar and a deserving hell to having eternal life. Now, you would think everybody would want that. And so Jesus was explaining to people, uh, his followers and others, why is it that some people don't latch onto that? Why don't they want that uh, lotto winning? What's going on? in their mind. And so that's what uh, we're going to talk about today. And really it comes down to a heart issue. And um, I read a story this week and it tickled my heart because uh, our daughter, uh, Abigail, is uh, in nursing school and she's currently on a pediatrics rotation. And she was telling us about a little four-year-old boy that was just the cutest little guy. And she went in there and uh, was asking me how he's doing. He said he was doing okay. And she saw the IV going in, and she said, what is that right there? And he said, that's, uh, that's my power. And she said, your power? He said, yeah, that's my power juice. And uh, he thought he was a superpower, superhero, you know, because that juice was going into him. And I remind reminded of the story I read this week. A nurse was in the pediatric ward, and she was listening to a little guy's heartbeat, and she put that... Uh, Stethoscope in her ears, and and then she would listen, and then she would put the stethoscope in their ears, and let them listen to their own heart. He said their light, their eyes would always light up, and they just couldn't believe what they were hearing. One little boy heard his own heart, and she said, "Listen, what do you hear? What do you suppose that is?" And he was a church-going Christian little boy, and all of a sudden he listened to that. His eyes got puzzled. He looked up as if... He couldn't believe what he was hearing. And then he said, I hear someone knocking in my heart. Is that Jesus knocking in my heart? And uh, you know what? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today is that Jesus is knocking in the hearts of mankind. He calls it soil, and he's there to work that soil. And so let's look at the sower Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and bless you. Thank you for knocking at our heart's door. And when we didn't open, Lord, you kept on knocking. Thank you. And Lord, it is an unbelievable delight to be saved. And Lord, we thank you for these precious saints here this morning. It's been a wonderful week, a wet week, but we're grateful so much for the rain. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in our midst today. Amen. All right. Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Perhaps one of the most confusing chapters in all of the Gospels. There has been more good and perhaps more error on chapter 13 than just about any other chapter. But we're just going to go at a first portion of it. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together, if you would, please. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. All right. Ready to in. Verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went unto a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now if you read what was before in chapter 12, you find that Jesus had already spoken to some people. He'd spoken to them in the morning, and he had nailed that truth into place, and now he's going to speak to them again. I don't think you can get too much of Jesus, amen? It seems like some folks at church... uh, They'll come for two weeks and then miss for two, come for three, miss for one. You know, you just can't get too much church. You might get overloaded, I think, but that's what they're thinking. But I mean, in the morning, Jesus preached to them. And then in the afternoon, he preached again. And so he's nailing it there. There's so many people and the crowd was so great, he needed to get a little bit apart from them. So they thought of this plan. They went out there and waded out to not very deep, they got in a little boat out there and probably had several of his disciples or others. They were holding the boat, the sloshing of the wind and the waves there in the Sea of Galilee. And so he stood up and that alone must have been amazing that he could get his voice above those wind and the waves there. Maybe not great, but we'll get it out there. And perhaps uh, while he's out there in that boat, he looks over and there's a man who is sowing his field. There's a farmer out there He has the seed bag slung over his shoulder, and there in that seed bag, he's got all these seeds. And so Jesus looks over, and he said, there was a man sowing his field. All of a sudden, probably everybody looked over there, and Jesus said, I want to tell you how this relates to everyday life. And so in verse 3, he said, but he spake unto them many things in parables saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. He looks at everybody and he says, have you ever wondered how the gospel works? Why is it that everybody doesn't get saved? Why is it that everybody doesn't want heaven? Why is it that some grow, others just fade away? Some are so fruitful, others are not. Have you ever wondered why that is? I mean, it's it's got to be some reason behind all of that, and so he said, "Let me explain what happens." So first of all, we're going to divide this chapter up, and if you have your outline there, you'll see that it's uh, quite uh, uh, quite thorough. The design of his teaching. First of all, he says, "I am going to speak in parables." Parables. Now we get our word "parallel" from the word "parables." and it is a related word it is a story that is laid parallel along a great truth or as the subtitle of our series is it is a earthly story with a heavenly meeting now this is the first time that Jesus ever spoke and taught this way now there are many ways to teach some people teach by asking questions Some people teach by using flannel graph. Others, people teach with dramatic uh, presentations. Some just give lecture. Others preach and they, you know, will try to illustrate and do this and that. There are so many different ways of teaching 50, 60, 70 or more ways to teach. Jesus is picking one of the most unique ways, and that is basic metaphorical. He is going to teach a story. A great spiritual truth through a story. And now he's going to tell us why he does that. Verse 10. And the disciples came unto him and said, why do you speak in parables? Verse 11. He answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them it is not given. So here he gives us a twofold motive for why he is teaching and preaching in parables. He said, Parables help us, but they also confirm the direction of a person. They might be saying, Well, how does this help and why does this hurt? Well, first of all, he said, It is to help reveal truth. Look at the first part of verse 11. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He said, If you are hungry for the gospel, if you are hungry for truth, if you desire to obey, then parables will be great for you. And you'll love them because you'll just get so much out of them, they'll be deep for you. There's sort of a spiritual mystique. Everybody loves a good mystery, you know, and you want to find out who done it. And he said, well, that's what a parable is. It is a way to teach great spiritual truths, and it even adds to the joy of life. So when you get a truth that's a somewhat mysterious, And if there's a mystique to it, you'll be prompted and motivated to dig deeper. And that'll be good for you. When I was growing up, uh, back uh, in the 60s, I had a cousin named Roy. He lived in Southern California, Thousand Oaks, I believe. And uh, he came from a kind of a well-to-do family, and his parents owned a very uh, profitable paint store there, and they pretty much lavished on him. As much as they could, and they gave him a brand new Volkswagen Beetle, a bug, in the mid 60s. And uh, Roy was kind of an interesting guy, and he uh, was so intrigued by that bug. Back then, you know, everybody touted how simple they were, but how amazing they were. His parents came home one day, about a week after they'd given him this brand new Volkswagen, and it was absolutely in parts. Every, I mean, it was all over the garage. The top was all, the engine was all apart. The wheels were off. The frame was apart. They looked at and said, what in the world did you do? And Roy just looked at them and said, I wanted to see how it worked. I wanted to see how it was put together. They just scratched their head said, okay, scratched their head. And he went on and put that thing back together. And You know, that was an intriguing, it was a mystique to him. And I think that's what happens to us. You know, we get a truth, we look at it and say, how does that work? And so we start taking it apart. And that's what he says here. The first reason for parables is to reveal. The second, parable, the second reason is to conceal. Notice that verse again. He says, to you, it's given. You're going to know more. But he says, to them, it is not given. I can imagine the disciples saying, What? you actually are hiding things from people? What? What's the point of that? And Jesus explains. He said, the fact is, I could lay out the most factual, the most wonderful, the most clear, the most logical, the best truth ever, and some people will just walk right by it. Other people will still stay. I don't get it. <laughs> Over the years being a pastor, as you can imagine, I've talked with thousands of people, both in the pulpit and also in person. And I've talked with lots of folks. And sometimes you can try to explain things to some folks. You can lay out absolute, factual, biblical truth and they'll just look at you and say, I don't get it. (laughs) You're like, really? You don't get it? And I have this sneaking suspicion that they don't want to get it (laughs) because it might mean I have to change my life or something. And Jesus is pointing out here, he's saying, you know, you can't know the Bible by investigation. You know the Bible through inspiration. It comes as a gift from God. The fact is truth is a privilege. It is not a right that's just granted to anybody. You go down here to the University of Pacific, go down to the Religious Studies School, and you'll have people that are studying the Bible, many of them unbelievers, most of the professors unsaved. And they get up there, they'll teach about John, and they'll teach about the Old Testament and this and that, and yet they teach absolute error. Why is that? Because they don't know the God of the book. It's reminded of a story, I'm uh, uh, not sure who told it first, but I read it several places, there was a professor in a college classroom, and he was just very much anti-God, and he got up in that classroom, and he held up a Bible, and he said, how many in this room believe that this is actually God's word? And He said it with a sneer on his face, and everybody knew he was, what his plan was. Nobody raised their hand. Finally, one brave, courageous, young Christian man raised his hand and said, I believe the Bible is the word of God. And boy, I'm telling you what, that professor just lit into him, said all kinds of explicatives, and then looked at that man. And he said, how in the world do you believe this book is from God? It is nonsense. It is illogical. It is unscientific. And I've read it from cover to cover, and it makes absolutely no sense to me. Thinking he had proved his point, the young man finally looked at him and the student raised his head and said, sir, can I, can I say something? And he said, yes, you can. The student stood up and he said, well, you know, God says that the Bible is his love letter to his children. Now, if you've read the Bible and it still doesn't make any sense, then it's probably because you're reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> it was sent to his children. And if you're reading it, you don't understand it. Well, it's not to you for sure. The fact is, folks, you've got to know the author in order to know what he's reading about and what he's teaching about. The design of his teaching then is to both reveal and to conceal. That's the most amazing thing about a parable is that to those who want to know, it is powerful and it just makes so much sense. But to those who really don't care to know, have a hard heart, don't want to obey, the fact is it just becomes more cloudy the definition of his teaching. Number two, let's talk about the seed, first of all. If people's lives are going to be transformed, then there must be the right word. There must be the right word. Look at verse three, a sower went forth to sow. What was he sowing? Verse 19 says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. Jesus said, what's the seed that a sower sows. It is the Word of God. Now, in Scripture, the Bible is listed in many different ways. It's called a hammer. Very appropriate. It is called a rock, solid. It is called a sword. It is called light. But perhaps one of the most beautiful is that it is called seed. And why is that a beautiful term? Because there's life in it. A seed has life in it. You can get a seed that has been in a tomb for 3,000 years in Egypt, bring it out, and you can plant it and put the right soil there and give moisture to it, and it will grow. It seems like it doesn't have life, but a seed has life. That's what it says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is quick. The word means alive. It's actually the Greek word zoe, very closely related to zoe but it's the same word we get our word zoo or zoology from, meaning it is alive. It pulsates with life. That's what Jesus said in John 6 and verse six thirty-three. the words that I speak are life. They're words of life. It's not like any other book. Now, another thing about this seed is this, that in its natural state, it cannot be created. I say that again. Seeds can never be created by a human, never. It is something that has been given by God. Did you know that about 800 miles south of the North Pole, over in Norway, there is a global seed bank? It is called the Svlogbarg, (laughs) Global Seed Vault, something like that. It is there and it contains... uh, The genes and the seeds from every known species in the world. Now, why do they have, tucked away in this iceberg, basically, there in Norway, why do they have this seed vault of every known seed? Because they know something. They know that if there was a worldwide catastrophe and somehow every seed was destroyed of some particular crop, it could never come back, ever. Because mankind cannot create seed. It is something that has been given to us, delivered to us. Now, folks, when you liken that to the Word of God, we realize that the Bible is not given to us by man. It has been given to us by God. And that encourages me when I preach, and it encourages me when I talk to people, because the seed that I laid in people's hearts, it has life in it. It has power in it, and just by speaking it out, it's amazing what happens. That's why I believe the Bible is inerrant, infallible, and inspired because it is given to us by God. It is God breathed, and that's what the the uh, look at the seed. It is must be the right word, and so Jesus said, "Now, if you're going to change someone's life, if you're going to go out there and change that field." You've got to make sure you have the right seed. Don't give, it, don't give people something that's from humans. Give something to people that's from God. It has to be the right seed. Second of all, let's talk about the sower. So it has to be the right seed. Number two, the sower has something to do with changing people's lives. There must be the right witness. Verse number three, behold, a sower went forth to sow. What is sowing? It's just placing the seed out there. Verse 37 tells us who the sower is. He that he answered and sent it to them. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So we're staying in Matthew 13 for the most part here. The sower is Jesus Christ, the son of man. He's the son of God, but he's also the son of man. He was both 100% God and 100% human. He is the son of man. Here, God pictures His Son, Jesus Christ, with a lavish hand scattering the gospel seed to the world. Now, He has then told us, as our Master, that we are to do the same thing. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 21. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He is the head of the body. The church is His body. We are His hands, His feet, His eyes, His mouth, His ears. And so as the church, we're supposed to do what the head says. My head can't really do a whole lot, but my hands can. But my hands can't do anything without the head. And so Jesus is our head, and he said, I want you to go out, and I want you to sow the seed. You say, well, how can I do that? First of all, you do it plentifully. In a soul, in our gospel story here, parable, the sower just scattered the seed. He didn't prejudge people. He didn't figure out, well, I don't know, you kind of look like hard ground or you look like good ground. I don't know, you look like thorny ground. I'm not sure about you. I can tell you folks, we can never prejudge people. That's why we just give the seed to everybody and say, well, I don't know, they look really hard. I don't want to offend them. (laughs) First of all, they're already on their way to hell. If you offend them, they're not going to go any place worse than they were already going. So you can't, uh, you can't mess them up by giving them the gospel, I can tell you that. You'd say, well, they don't look like they're ready, folks. That's not ours to judge. I, folks, I've talked with people who, and sometimes you ought to be up here, from my view, looking at your faces sometimes, because uh, some people, when they're listening, they get a pained look on their face, you know. And other people, you know, they're very pleasant and, you know, they're enjoyable. Other folks, you know, they have a quizzical look and some of you are sleeping, you know, whatever the case is. And so here's what I've learned over the years. Just give out the word because everybody responds different. I've had folks that, you know, you thought that they weren't absolutely listening one bit. I've witnessed to maybe two or three people in a room and the one person I was talking to, they didn't accept Christ, but one person sitting over on the couch, Boy, they were just drinking it all in. So that's the power of the gospel seed, folks. You must go. You can't spell the word gospel without starting G O. You gotta go. You can't spell the word God without saying. G-O. You can't spell the word good without starting out G-O. God wants us just to get out there, do good for God, give out the gospel. That's what he wants us to do, get out there and do something. And The powerful thing about this is it really doesn't make any difference who the sower is because the seed is where the power is. For example, you have a father who's sowing the seed and he's being careful to make sure he throws it on the good ground and he tries to keep it off of the, the, the walkway because it's not going to probably grow there. And so a, a wise sower, you know, he'll, he'll toss it in the right place. But let's say his five-year-old son, Jesus is looking over there at that sower. He's got the seed bag around his shoulder here. And he said, now imagine for a minute, This might, Jesus might have been saying, imagine if that man's five-year-old son went sowing with him. And he said, dad, can I help you throw out the seed? Sure, son. And so he gets that seed and he throws it. Now, he's not as skillful. And some of the seeds get going to get on the hard ground. and Others are going to get over on the rocks. And some will get in his pockets and whatever else. But if that five-year-old boy happens to throw the seed on good ground, it doesn't make any difference if the dad did it or the five-year-old son did it. It's going to bring forth fruit because it is the seed that's the power. And that's what he's pointing out here. You will have a more chance of doing something good if you'll give out more seed. It only makes sense if you just once a year go out and drop one seed in the ground, then honestly, you're not going to get much of a crop. And honestly, that's the way a lot of folks are. We just... You know, the last time we witnessed was, you know, 1979. You know, I went out and I uh, I gave a witness or I gave a track. Folks, we ought to sow plentifully. And that's why we have out here, when you leave here this morning, always we have different things. We always, almost always have a, a quarterly little door hanger. And this one is the one we have right now, our spring one. On the back, it has little events. It's uh, very uh, non-threatening. It's very inviting. But down at the bottom, it has a little gospel uh, invite. It says, Jesus loves you, John 3, 16. And then has a website. They can answer Bible questions. Interesting. Then we have these little church invites here, and we invite people in. These are just kind of a, a, an invitation to the church. And it also has a, a little gospel message on there, But it's kind of more, you know, it gives them the times of the church, gives them the contact information. We have these little gospel invites. And then we have our track that Pastor Mike Robinette wrote, and it gives a full presentation of the gospel, and then on back it gives that information. Now, you can do one of these three things or something else. I mean, there's all kinds of other things, but always have a track. When you, maybe, when you, uh, with your tip, put a track uh, just make sure you tip pretty good, okay? <laughs> if you're tipping uh, one dollar uh, $1 out of a hundred, you know, don't put a church track on that one. And, uh, but, uh, but if you're a good tipper or whatever the case, you know the fact is, just everywhere we go, when you're walking into the store, just take some of these things and on about four or five cars on your way to the store, just put it on the car like that. We were putting a little invites out on cars this week, and one man looked at me, and he said, you still have your bug? He's out in the middle of nowhere. And I looked at him and said, uh, Yeah, I do. And then I recognized he was a mechanic from the Volkswagen shop. And I said, Really? Yeah. And uh, well, he recognized me. He figured anybody who's out there you know, telling the gospel, he must be that pastor. I remember when I was a Volkswagen. But, folks, no matter what we do, you just got to get the gospel out plentifully. Plentifully. So what? The Word of God. So when? All the time. So where? Everywhere. So plentifully. Number two, we ought to sow patiently. Now we've got to drop seeds. Now, it would be nice if you could throw out a whole bucket full of seed. And that's what I do on Sundays. I I get the big old seed basket, you know, and I throw it out there, and if you take that grain home, and I mean you could You you could make uh, loaves of that. and You could uh, eat all week long with your family, maybe on one sermon. But notice these are seeds, just one seed, just one investment, just a seed here, a seed there, a seed there, patient seed planting, patiently. Put a seed, put a seed, put a seed, just everywhere I go, place a seed, whether it's on the internet, whether it's uh, through music, whatever the case, planting seeds. Now, when farmers plant, they don't expect the crop to come up tomorrow. I mean, if they put the seed in on Monday, they don't come out there on Tuesday and say, how come it's not growing up? They know it takes a while. And that's what happens to us. We just need to sow plentifully and then be patient. Seed here, seed here, and then just keep watching, keep praying, and watch God do a great work. Now, the design of his teaching, the definition of his teaching, the seed, the sower, and finally, and this really is the thrust of the passage, the soil. There must be the right welcome. People are going to have to receive it. Now, there are four types of hearers here. First of all, we have a stubborn hearer. Verse number four, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. So Jesus, again, he's out on the boat, He's preaching to these people on the uh, shore there and he said, now look, look at that sower over there. Look at that farmer over there. They were probably looking. He said, now notice where he's sowing. Now he's trying to get it into the good soil, but he doesn't really know exactly what's all going to be, so some falls on the wayside. Now, what was this wayside? Well, they didn't have a lot of fences uh, in Palestine. They would just separate the fields and even separate some of their property by just a walkway, maybe three, four, five feet wide. And because people would trample it down, it was very hard. And the dry conditions of of that area and stomping it down for years, it was very hard. I mean, packed down and hard. And Jesus said, some people don't receive the gospel because they're just hard. I mean, It stays on the surface. It never goes down. They're too busy. Their heart is hard. They have things they got to do with their life. They maybe have been hardened from some situation, from their parents, maybe some physical situation. Maybe they just uh, are hardened by the sinfulness of life. But whatever the case, they are hard people. Hebrews 3, 8 says, don't harden your hearts. It's a heart that knows no repentance, no sorrow for sin, no guilt, no concern over things that really matter, matters at all, never broken up, never, uh, never uh, no moisture at all. I mean, no Bible in that life, and the water of the Word hasn't got in one bit. And what happens? The Bible says, the fowls came and devoured them. What are the fowls? Verse 19 says what the fowls are. When one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in the heart. Birds, birds are picking up the seeds because they're just laying on the surface. They're not getting down. They're hardened by sin and hardened by just busyness and uh, procrastination, Just, just hardened hearts. And they have no conviction over sin, don't really care about spiritual things, they've allowed themselves to get hard. And then the birds come and pick it away. This is Satan, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, he has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel would shine unto them. He blinds them. He blinds them through religious sayings. He blinds them through perhaps a culture that we live in today. He blinds them by the use of education and relatives. But whatever the case, uh, they have become hardened. Maybe they're afraid uh, of their reputation uh, might be hindered if they become a Christian, or they might be kicked out of some of their group, or maybe uh, you know, they'll be considered some kind of a religious fanatic. Whatever the case, they become a stubborn hearer. They become one that just won't listen to the Word of God. Then there's a second type of hearing, and that is the superficial hearer, shallow people. Verse 5, "'Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth. Forthwith they sprung up because they had no deeps of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away.'" Now, any farmer has to cultivate the field. Some places are easier than others if you go down to Manteca area, it's a very sandy soil. Up here, it's kind of a clay soil. There are other places, like you go east here, and further east you go, pretty soon you to get into some very rocky soil. Well, Palestine, Canaan land, is similar to that. It's, uh, in fact, much of Palestine is basically um, limestone and uh, shale and things like that. And oftentimes, there'll only be a few inches of topsoil. Some places are more than that. So if a farmer's going to get anything done, he has to break up that rock. He has to try to draw it out of there so he can get enough soil so that that plant can have a root system and so it can stay moist. He said, now, a farmer knows that if he's going to get a crop, he's got to get it into some good soil. And He said, now, if it's just shallow, it's going to be a problem. Now, first of all, the first soil, the seed couldn't get in at all. In this soil, the seed couldn't get down into the soil. We're talking about just shallow superficial emotionalism, for example. You know, some people get excited about God. They come to church and like the music and the sense of uh, community they feel. They've done something good for God. You know, they've maybe put a few dollars in and there's a good feeling. And so there's a, a rush of emotion and maybe they're having a tough time in life and maybe things have been going bad for them and they come to church and maybe things start turning around. But they've never really repented. They never really trusted Christ. They've never really given their heart to God and really got into the Word. I mean, it's shallow, it's feeling, it's temporary. I've got God on my side, everything's good, but there's no deep roots. And that's one of the values, by the way, of having tribulations and troubles. Tribulation and troubles and adversity make us or break us for the most part. They'll either drive our roots deep into a soil and we just grow from there, or we are revealed as being simply an emotional Christian, just one who's very shallow. Look what it says in verse 21. Yet he hath no root in himself. He doeth but for a while. And when the tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended, by and by. Now, some people last for a few weeks. Some people last for a few months. Some might even last for a couple of years or more. But by and by, they become offended. I've noticed about people who come to church and they get excited, buy in, start getting going. There's a point when there gets a rub. It might be a few months. It might be a few years. But if they don't continue on and something happens, maybe they've got to go somewhere else. And, but I will tell you this, church is not going to fix your root problem. That's something you and the Lord have to work with. And just going from this place to this place, is not going to work. And that's what's happening here. They become offended for maybe no particular reason, but they just become offended. Actually, it's an interesting word there. It actually means baited. The Greek word means baited. They become baited by the devil, and the devil will dangle in front of them things that offend them. Somebody didn't say hi, or somebody was too mean, or somebody said this, or somebody didn't say this, and somebody did this, somebody did this. They become offended. And I can tell you what, after pastoring in the same area for 40 years, there's all kinds of offended people. I mean, they just become offended. And uh, for no particular reason, you know, they just become offended. And You find out where the depth is. You say, "Well, oh, what can we do about this?" I love what the prophet told Israel in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. He said, "Pray to God, and that God would take away your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh." Oh God, take away my stony heart because I want—I don't want to be offended because of my humanness. Oh God, I don't want to be an emotional, shallow person. God, grow me deep into your word. And so we have those that are hard. We have those that are shallow. And then the third kind of soil, the selfish hearer. Verse 7, some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Jesus went on to explain, verse 22, he said, he also that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, this soil looks a lot better. No rocks in it, pretty loose, moist, but there's a problem with this soil. It has two kinds of seeds and both seeds are vying for all the nutrition. Both seeds are trying to become preeminent in that soil. Now, the thing about soil is this: weeds are natural, good seed is not. People all the time say, what's the difference between a weed and a and a good something good? It's the good seed has been placed there on purpose. But the natural seed is a weed. It just comes naturally. And all of us by nature have this sinful nature. <laughs> by nature, we are full of weeds. In order to get that crop down in. We've got to put some good seed in. And that's why it's hard, for example, to have a Bible mind because my natural seed wants to just do wrong. My natural seed wants to be lazy. My natural seed wants to be selfish. My natural seed doesn't really want the things of God. But the Bible seed in me wants to. The Bible seed wants to do something good. And the more I feed it, the more I help it, the better it grows. We were planting all this turf, and every time we plant turf around here, they remind us that the best thing you can do to keep the weeds out is not just pick the weeds or not just spray the weeds. The best way to keep the weeds out of your lawn is to have a healthy lawn. Fertilize the lawn. Make sure it's well aerated. Make sure it's mowed down because weeds hate mowing, but grass loves mowing. And uh, just do all you can to have a healthy Turf lawn that keeps the weeds out. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying you can't let both exist together because it the weeds will naturally take over. We've got to starve those weeds and feed the seeds. That's what he's saying here. Don't let two seeds in your life. And there are so many of us that are perhaps even here today, and that's what Jesus said. You cannot serve both mammon and God. He didn't say, uh, he just said, you can't do it together. Now, his point is that you can serve mammon, or you can serve God, but you can't do both together. You can't say, well, I'm going to do this and God. No, that's not the way it works. I'm I'm 100% for God. Whatever else happens, amen. Whatever else goes on in my life, praise God. But I'm serving God. I'm going to glorify God on my job. I'm going to glorify God in my marriage. I'm going to glorify God in my education. I'm going to glorify God in my recreation. I'm going to glorify God in my finances. I'm going to glorify God in every area. I'm choosing God. No two seeds in my soil. Mm-mm. No good seed. Just good seed. I don't want any of this bad seed because it chokes out the good seed. And that's what Jesus is saying. There are people who. He's saying here they they look like a Christian. I mean, they look like good soil, but they never seem to grow and flourish and not like good soil. He said, you need to get out there and you need to get that good soil in there and make a difference in that life. And he said, then you'll become good ground. And that's the final one, the sincere hearer. Look what it says in verse eight. But the other fell on the good ground, brought forth fruit, Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Man, hallelujah. We can be a thirty folder or a sixty-folder or a hundred folder. It show it's on good ground. We're here this morning and we ask ourselves a question, am I good ground? He'd say, what is good ground? Good ground is broken up. Broken up. That's what the prophet said. He said, let God plow into your life. Plow, Lord, and plow deeply. You know, none of us especially like adversity. If you liked adversity, i probably a strange person. I know I don't like it. But I will say this, adversity has a tremendous effect on our soil. It is a deep plow. I watched as they planted this big walnut um, orchard um, south of the church here, and they prepared the soil like I've never seen they came out there with these big old giant caterpillars and these big long rippers. Those rippers, I am guarantee they were 10, 12 feet long. And you could hear them going, and they would just creep along because they were digging deep. You just heard, and sometimes I even watched it where one of those caterpillars got stuck for a second because it was ripping up that hard pan and you get down about four or five feet in this particular area, and there's this hard, sandy, concrete stuff. And I mean to tell you, it takes a big old ripper. Sometimes God has to pull a ripper through our life. Sometimes it's a terrible loss, maybe it's a financial reversal. Maybe it's losing our job, or it's a health issue. But the fact is, all those rippers, they just break up the soil. We also let God break up the soil through obeying his word, reading something in the Bible. And we say, Oh, that stings. Oh, wow. That's tough. Amen for it. Praise God for it. Maybe you're in church and pastor says something that's convicting. Don't get mad at the pastor. Thank God that he's convicting your soul. He's plowing deep. Plow deep, God. You ought to come to church every Sunday and say, God, plow deep. Plow deep in me, Lord, because I want to be good soil. Folks, if you just get a little, get a little tiny rake and just kind of rake on your life, you know, that, that's like watching, you know, some evangelist on TV that you really like, you know. He's just raking at you like that. Just rake, 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 rake. Oh, I love, I just love TV. I love church on TV. That's because no one's plowing deep in your life. But you get at somebody who's plowing deep, getting the word and plowing deep. If it's a TV, you'll turn it off. That's why it's important to come to church because you can't turn off church. Amen. You can't turn off the TV if it doesn't fit your fancy. No, you just got to sit there and take it like a man. And uh, you sit there and take it and say, Pastor, plow deep, plow deeper, Pastor. Keep on plowing. Plow boy and uh, pastor just plowing along and plowing along. i tell you something. There have been a few church services I've been in. Dear Jesus, I thought, If that preacher doesn't stop preaching, he's making me mad because I wanted to go down to that altar so bad because he'd already said enough to convict my soul. I was like, man, stop preaching so I can get down there to that altar and get right with God. And you already got me. You already been plowing. Why do you have to keep plowing on me? You know, 30 minutes he plows on me, 45 minutes he plows on me. Good night. Plowing on me all that time. But you know what? We need plowed on. If you want to be good soil, plow me deep, Lord. Plow me deep with your word. Plow me deep with whatever you got, Lord. Plow me deep. Thank God he will plow us. If you're going to be good soil, you have to be moist. The Bible calls itself the water of the word. You got to plow deep and you got to put moisture into it. I mean, if we don't have the word of God in us, we're going to be dry. Get the water of the word and plow deep, moisture, and uh, then let the seed do its work. And that's what God is saying here. If you're here this morning and perhaps you just know, you know what, I've been so busy with my own stuff in life, I just, I'm so, I know I'm hardened. Maybe you've allowed something in your past to harden you. Oh Lord, I pray that you'll just dig deep in my life. Or maybe you're here and you're shallow. I mean, do you, church is a nice thing. Or listening to nice Christian music and it's just about emotions. You need to get into the word. I mean, start getting into the Word. Come to Sunday school or go, come to Sunday night or get on the Wednesday night FBI or just get a good Bible reading program. But I mean, do something to make sure that it's not just surface, it's deep. I want to be a deep Christian. I want my roots to go deep into the Word. I don't want to be shallow. I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to be shallow. And I don't want to have thorns. I don't want to let anything divide my mind. Can't be two seeds can't be two seeds. It's either Jesus and money uh, or money. It's either Jesus or my job. It's either Jesus or my recreation, but can't be both. Now you can have Jesus and have all these other things if you serve God right. But God said, you've got to make sure that Jesus is always first, put God first in your life. And then there's good ground. And thank God that ground brings forth fruit. Lord, I want to be a hundredfolder for your kingdom's sake. Keep planting that seed, plentifully, patiently, maybe just one seed at a time, but we still plant. Say, well, I can't do what I used to do. It's not, it can be a five-year-old child that throws, but as long as they throw it in the good ground, it'll take off. And so just wherever I go, I want to make a difference. Augustine wrote this, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And where your heart is, there is your happiness. Let's make sure that our heart is happy by putting our treasure in the things of God. Let's bow our heads for prayer, if you would, please.